Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I'm going to read something to you. A friend of ours, a friend of my wife's, sent this to her, I think it was yesterday, thereabouts. Excuse me, kind of sums things up. First of all, before I do that, I'm all prepared for this program. I start thinking about some of these things, watching what's going on right to the very end. And I want to say something. I reject this massive deficit spending completely. It's not a stimulus. It's massively inflationary. And I want you to know something, however. I am sick and tired on these efforts to sabotage the president. It's one thing to disagree with the president on a policy, to explain yourself, to have a disagreement. It's one thing to do that. But it's quite another to constantly try and sabotage the president of the United States. I know of no elected public official none who thought right up almost through the end of February that the coronavirus was something to worry about except the president who did indeed take steps take steps to try and protect the American people for which he was viciously attacked by the Democrats you see the Democrats have a PR advantage for numerous reasons. Number one, they have a media they know will back them no matter how insidious, insane, dishonest they are. Because the media are the same. The media are the same. The media had individual after individual telling us that this was not a big deal. I'm going to play that again for you down the road here. Now it's time to open up big chunks of the economy. And the president was actually the first one to bring that up. Two, three weeks ago. But as science and health advisors asked him for another 30 days. But it's obvious he is poised to act. In fact, it's so obvious that Joe Biden felt compelled over the weekend to sign his name, barely. Can you imagine if his name was beyond Joe? Maybe he had two or three. uh... Anyway, so 
And then you have the governors of three left-wing states, New Jersey, Connecticut, and New York, working on a, a plan to open the economy. These aren't serious people in that respect. They're trying to outposition the president. It's all about politics. These immensely irresponsible spending budgets that are twice what they need to be. Um, the Democrats think they should be four times what they are. I'm going to tell you something. Again, while I disagree with this massive spending and will continue to oppose an infrastructure program, at least for now, it's ridiculous, this kind of spending. There's not another person who I'd want as President of the United States trying to cope with this than the President, currently, Donald Trump. I can't think of a single Democrat that I'd want in that slot. I really can't. And I don't think most Republicans, and there are many that I like very much, could withstand the crushing, relentless attempts to destroy this man the way this man withstands it. I don't have to agree with everything he does, and I can openly disagree with him, as I have, again, on some of these spending ideas, as I have with the Maduro Republicans and the Maduro Democrats in Congress. And you know what? He doesn't attack me. He doesn't admonish me. He's my friend. And the reason I give advice on TV, whether it's cable or digital, and behind this microphone, is because I want him to succeed and I want my country to succeed. It's not personal with me. But the media, it's all personal. And they are out to destroy this man. And they come up with these phony headlines and these phony stories. And part of the reason is, you know, I wrote an entire book on this, if you're really interested, on freedom of the press. But, but part of the reason is we have individuals in the media today who are, not, I'm, I say this with all seriousness, who aren't particularly bright, who come out of the Democrat Party and they're in prominent positions. It's almost as if they're put there by the various networks. The networks and too many cable stations have gone Hollywood. There's not a dime's worth of difference between these newsrooms, the Hollywood elite, and the Democrat Party. You can't find it. And often, when the Democrat Party criticizes the president, in the White House press room, during one of these press events, they'll regurgitate what the Democrats say as a legitimate journalistic question, when it's not. So the New York Times says the president didn't act fast enough. There wasn't a single confirmed coro- <coughs> excuse me, coronavirus death up through j- January. <laughs> excuse me, up through January. Not one. And they would have the president shut down the economy. Listen to what they demanded. You had one Sunday host who demanded a national shelter in place. Why would you have a national shelter in place? Yet Nancy Pelosi demanding an aggressive use of a statute, the Stafford statute, they call it the Defense Production Act, which was really passed for the Korean War and related military activities, she would have had the president nationalizing one company after another. 
Chuck Schumer wanted the president to appoint a military czar. You have Democrat governors outlawing the sale, even the, 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 the opening of gun stores. You have Democrat governors opposing people on Easter, getting in their cars, driving to their churches, where they're effectively hermetically sealed in their cars, telling them that's illegal. You have a Michigan governor who's out of her damn mind, outlawing anything that moves or breathes. I don't know where these powers come from, by the way. The President of the United States, for the most part, has been very careful in his use of power. Very careful. Andrew Cuomo has proven himself to be an absolute incompetent buffoon. And so now he's 87% approval rating in New York. Because I'm convinced in these blue states, they like dictatorships. They want dictatorships. He was demanding ventilators while he was hoarding them in a storage unit in New Jersey. Turns out he didn't need anything near the number of ventilators he said he needed. He was demanding hospital beds. We have hospital beds by the hundreds that are empty at the Javits Center on a Navy ship. Nobody ever says maybe we need that Navy ship where we actually have uh, troops. No. And now he wants you and me to bail out his budget. And he doesn't mean money spent on this terrible virus. He's in the hole tens of billions of dollars on pensions. He's in debt. And he wants you and me to clean it up. So does the clown in in California. So does the clown in Illinois. This is the time, they figure, for you and me, the people who don't even get to vote in these states. And our fellow Republicans and conservatives who vote against these politicians. Now we're supposed to bail them all out. This is where if the president buckles for that, I'm going to keep fighting that. But he's a good man. Who's working hard to do the right thing. Can you say Nancy Pelosi's a good woman trying to do the right thing? Can you say Chuck Schumer's a good man trying to do the right thing? Can you say these media people are good people trying to do the right thing? Of course not. They're not. I don't believe we've ever had a situation in this, like this in our country. Where we're fighting during a terrible crisis. And the fifth column is the fourth estate. That's all that mean, Mark. Google it. The invisible enemy is not just the virus. And I'll say it. It's a big chunk of the United States media. And what China's putting out, propaganda. Our media is regurgitating it. Our media have spent more time attacking our president than the president of China, who's got blood on his hands. Over 20,000 Americans, that blood's on his hands. While the New York Times writes a headline about the president. Where's their headline about Xi? 
I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Tell you why I have trouble watching these press conferences. It's not because of the president in the least, because of the press. The Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse morons in the audience there. Seizing on one word, seizing on a phrase. Why didn't you do that? It's it's just it's it's incoherent and incomprehensible to me. There's a doctor and a lawyer. She's both who wrote something called Life, Liberty, and the Coronavirus. I don't know if I'm allowed to give her a name. I don't want to get her fired. But when you're a Stanford graduate as a lawyer and a doctor, you're one smart person. I'm a board-certified emergency physician, she writes, seeing patients on the front lines during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm one of the anonymous healthcare providers you see covered from head to toe in PPE. I'm also an attorney, a graduate of Stanford University Law School. Above all, I'm an American. And like you, I've watched this pandemic unfold in horror. But my horror is about the legal and political, not medical. It's not possible that we could have a public health emergency that threatens millions of Americans' lives. For example, a highly lethal and contagious virus that still exists in laboratories, such as the smallpox virus, could be reintroduced by an enemy nation. But the Wuhan virus isn't in that category. This is, after all, at least the third respiratory virus from China in the past 25 years. First the bird flu, then SARS, then H7N9. It was clear from the outset that Wuhan virus was not a deadly threat to most people, but it was a potential national problem in one very specific way. It was, if it was unchecked, it had the potential to cause a temporary shortage of ventilators for critically ill patients. But the data was clear from the outset that there was never going to be any other potential national problem. Knowing this, I could never have imagined that the result would be a collapse of freedom. And by the way, the President of the United States hasn't shut a single business. Newsom, Cuomo, Mary, and all the other ding-dongs, they've shut their businesses. Even businesses that can mitigate, which has been my raw spot here. If a business can mitigate and follow the guidelines, let them open. Lest that sounds like an exaggeration, it's worth remembering that only one month ago, the idea of closing the American economy would have been so absurd that even the thought was impossible to conceive. 
Such a concept never existed until suddenly it did. In retrospect, we can see just how delusional is our belief that any rights are permanent. And even more vulnerable than the economy are our political rights. Anyone who doubts that just has to reflect upon the fact that while we are all working together to get the economy back, within the past two weeks, laws have been passed prohibiting Americans' right to paddleboard alone in the ocean, drive alone in their car without a face mask, sit at a picnic table with their spouse, shop in the wrong section of a store, or sit in their own car in a church parking lot. Governors and mayors all over the country have passed these laws, and their police are enforcing them. Our Declaration of Independence starts with granting us the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For the first time in most people's lives, our liberty is being threatened. Freedom seems so ingrained in our culture that most Americans can't even imagine that it's possible to lose. And in fact, there are many financial and legal safeguards to our freedom, from prosperity to the Constitution to state laws to threatening a lawsuit if someone imposes on us. But just because it seems impossible to forcefully eliminate our personal freedom does not mean our rights are permanent. Because what a thief cannot take in the dead of night, a con man can coax away in the light of day. Why would anybody ever give away their personal liberty? The only thing more valuable than liberty, of course, is life itself. Most people would trade away their freedom to save their life. This is such a predictable human response that it is very easy to exploit. If someone can convince you that you may not be alive in the future, you don't care so much about your constitutional rights today, but just maybe you're starting to think the Constitution might have a longer lifespan than the Wuhan virus. From the moment we decided as a nation that we should not gather in groups of thousands, such as large arenas, It took less than two weeks for some states and local governments to make laws prohibiting gatherings of as few as 10 people. And it took only another two weeks for some state and local governments to pass laws against driving alone or picnicking with your own family. This response was not inevitable. Some Western countries have halted large gatherings, such as sporting events, but allow their citizens to make their own choices about work and smaller social gatherings. People get to decide if grandparents and grandchildren can see each other. Contrast, America is currently considering laws such as the government going into your home to remove or to quarantine a person with COVID-19, an internal passport stating your COVID-19 status, a COVID-19 tracking system developed by Google and Facebook. There's more to this. Stick with me. I'll be right back. If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. 
Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Mark Levin Show is tomorrow's morning show. You can reach Mark now at 877-381-3811. Isn't it amazing? Andrew Cuomo never faces serious journalistic questions, let alone relentlessly assaulted at his press conferences. He sits there, he pontificates, bloviates. Same with the clown in California, News. Nancy Pelosi, same thing. Schumer said they're never really questioned in any significant way. They don't go past through uh, through the past with Cuomo, his budget decisions. They don't investigate nothing. Not a word. I want to continue with this piece written by the Stanford lawyer, Stanford doctor, who is a certified emergency physician. She's seen patients on the front lines of the pandemic. She's worried about our liberties and how easily we've surrendered them. Not only should you consider the merits of a specific idea, she says, does a particular idea make sense? Is it supported by the evidence? But you have to decide if you trust the government working with big tech to decide and enforce these decisions. She means to track you. Keep in mind that state governments have determined that churches, which have always been part of human history, are deemed non-essential. But the marijuana shops, legal for less than five years, are deemed essential. And I would go on abortion clinics. Are you completely confident that these rules would never be used against you? I suspect neither the churchgoers nor the marijuana users would want anyone else telling them what's essential. We agreed to a shutdown of our American way of life because experts told decision makers that the virus would kill one to two million people. If you were as wildly inaccurate in your job as these experts were in theirs, you would be permanently unemployed. I don't doubt the motives of the experts, but as a doctor myself, I know how most doctors think. In general, doctors can only see risks to individuals and a group. The remoteness of the possibility of one to two million deaths was irrelevant to doctors as long as it was possible, conceivable. While you may appreciate such risk-adverse advice from your personal physician, no one including the doctors, actually lives like that. Everyone does things that range from slightly to very dangerous every day. If we weren't, we wouldn't drive a car, take an elevator, be sexually active, or for that matter, live in a geographic area prone to tornadoes or earthquakes or terrorist attacks or hurricanes. Instead, we would all exercise twice as much, eat half as much, floss twice a day, smoke not at all, avoid toxic friendships, and always sleep eight hours every night. We, the American people, agreed through our representative governments to shut down each state's economy because we were told our health care system would be overwhelmed if we didn't. This might or might have merited, not have merited restricting our rights. But no freedom-loving American would have ever agreed to restrict their liberty for something that is less risky than the annual influenza. Now, you're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to say that. And yet I have expert after expert, doctor after doctor, saying that. After all, Americans have the constitutional right to refuse the influential vaccination, and they do, by a large majority. If based upon what you have seen and heard, you think there just might be a chance you will be alive next year, you better start thinking about if you want your constitution to be alive too. 
Well, I can tell you the media doesn't give an S. They only care about their little corner of the Constitution. They don't care about the rest of the Constitution. As a matter of fact, they, they want to turn it inside out, just like their liberal patrons in Congress and in Hollywood. Just like them. Now, I want to go through some of these things here to remind you that here is Anthony Fauci on Newsmax, January 21, on the coronavirus with Greg Kelly, who is a great reporter, father of a great police commissioner. Cut four, go. Bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. January 26, Anthony Fauci and the Cats Roundtable. Go. What can you tell the American people uh, about what's going on? Should they be scared? Uh, I don't think so. The American people should not be worried or frightened by this. It's a very, very low risk to the United States. It isn't something that the American public needs to worry about or be frightened about. Because we have ways of preparing, of screening, of people coming in, and we have ways of responding like we did with this one case in Seattle, Washington, who had traveled to China and brought back the infection. Mr. Reducer, move to number 11. Montage flashback. Hat tip Washington Free Beacon. Your media. Cut 11, go. In late February, President Trump began downplaying the coronavirus by likening the illness to the seasonal flu. People are like, you know, I think I have the flu. Could it be the coronavirus? Overall, most people should not be terribly concerned about it. You definitely want to pay attention. Should they panic? No, Americans do not need to panic. What I would suggest, however, Mm -hmm. is that Americans take this as a wake-up call for seasonal flu. Flu is a much bigger deal. There's an important context we need to keep this in, and that is that the flu is more deadly. Maybe this is a good opportunity to remind people of that. Such a good reminder. And while there's a lot of fear over this coronavirus, you know, the flu is already widespread in the U.S., and and it really is much more deadly, is it not? Coronavirus is not going to cause a major issue in the United States. We're going to have forty to 60,000 deaths this year in the United States from the influenza, and it's preventable. And there are only 12 confirmed cases of coronavirus here in the state. The risk is low. The risk, however, for the flu is through the roof. Health warning from doctors, why they say people should be more worried about the flu than the coronavirus. Half of the people in America do not get a flu shot, and the flu right now is far deadlier. So if you're freaked out at all about the coronavirus, you should be more concerned about the flu. Robert Redfield, CDC director on the Today Show. Let's see. uh, Cut three, go. I will say that if you look back in in January and February, the cases we had in this country were all related to China travel. Actually, uh, it was 14 cases throughout the country. The CDC evaluated over 800 contacts of those individuals and only identified two individuals that had been infected, both spouses. It wasn't until February 28th when we saw our first community transmission where we said, wait a minute, where's this Where's this coming from? Now, let's stop right there. February 28th is when the medical experts in the federal government said, hey, wait a minute. Up until that point, they weren't terribly serious or concerned about it. Wait a minute. February 28th. February 28th. 
There were no deaths through January. And yet the President of the United States issued the first mandatory quarantine in 50 years and stopped travel from China prior to February 28th. Now, can you imagine him shutting down? First of all, he didn't have the power to do it anyway, in my view. Can you imagine shutting down the American economy with 14 cases throughout the country? And not until February 28th when they saw their first community transmission uh, a, a trans, yeah, transmission of the, of the uh, virus? I mean, this is what, what the New York Times and the rest of the media are doing, who were apparently virus uh, deniers, may I say. It's appalling. Now, you have articles written by some people I like very much, Victor Davis Hanson and others saying, look, the conservatives were wrong too. Here's the difference. We're trying to follow these people. We're trying to follow their science. We're trying to analyze it. Excuse me. It's not ideological with me. It's not ideological. How does it it help or hurt the president one way or the other? He's following what his science and public health experts are saying. That's what he's doing. And they protect them, Fauci and Burks or Bricks, while they attack him. When he's the recipient of their advice and he's making decisions based on it. Go ahead. I think it's important when we when we get back and we get through this, we can look back at the timeline. Um, but our initial response was containment. And and as I mentioned, through February 28th, I think we had 14 cases in the country. February 28th uh, through February 28th, there were, enti- there were 14 cases in the country. And they want to know why the president waited till early March to take additional severe actions. February 28th. This entire weekend, New York Times, CNN, MSNBC, bleeding into today from these newsrooms is so specious, so insane. The New York Times does a hit job on the president. When the New York Times editorialized that it's no big deal. But they don't care. It doesn't matter. Accuracy is not the issue. Pounding away is the issue. Pounding away. Now what about these models? These models they keep chasing. I keep asking questions about these models. I'm not allowed to ask questions about models. The fatality rate. I was the first to raise questions about the fatality rate. And so I came under attack. Why? Well, first of all, let's listen to some of this. Let's see here. Fauci himself on Friday about models. Cut seven, go. I have been and still am and will always be somewhat reserved and skeptical about models because models are only as good as the assumptions that you put into the model. And those assumptions that start off when you don't have very much data at all, or the data that you have is uncertain, that you put these assumptions in and you get these wide ranges of calculations of what might happen, you know, 100,000 to 240,000 deaths. But then as you start to accumulate data, data that's real data are likely being influenced heavily by the mitigation uh, programs that you put in, the physical separations, that when real data comes in, 
then data, in my mind, always trumps any model. And you have to modify sure. the model and the assumptions as you get data in. So I have no problem with people who are critical of, of uh, modeling because modeling is inherently an imperfect science. So I, I don't really have any quibbling with that. And you just got to make sure as you collect real data, you rely more on the data than you do on a model. I just have to tell you, this guy amazes me. He really takes responsibility for nothing. Again, I don't say that to attack him. I just listen to him. The models say this. Now, the models don't really matter unless we have more data. And the data, you know, look at the data over the models. Really? If I had said to you two months ago, ignore the models, I pretty much did. But if I'd said ignore the models, I would have been called anti-science. This guy's saying, ignore the models. We don't have enough good models. And yet, Deborah Burks is the modeler. She's the modeler. Now listen to this. Cut eight. Here's Dr. Burks. Go. The predictions of the models don't match the reality on the ground in either China, South Korea, or Italy. And yet, the Uh, early models were looking at China, South Korea, and Italy. All three of those countries. All of them. That's where they got the data from. Go ahead. We are about five times the size of Italy. So if we were Italy and you did all those divisions, Italy should have close to 400,000 deaths. They're not close to achieving that. So these are the kinds of things we're trying to understand. Models are models. We're adapting now to the reality. There's enough data now of the real experience with the coronavirus on the ground to really make these predictions much more sound. So why did you and Fauci keep promoting information based on the models? You don't have to give answers if you don't have answers. You don't have to be wildly inaccurate. I mean, this is what I mean. Fauci, the Today Show, last Thursday, cut six, go. The initial projections, which took a lot of people's breath away, was potentially 100 to 240,000 deaths in this country. Now we have data, not just models, but actual data to plug in and, and assess. Do you think the number of fatalities in this country will be significantly lower than the 100,000 to 240,000 first projected? I do, and I believe that the mitigation, I think the American public have done a really terrific job of just buckling down and doing those physical separation and adhering to those guidelines. Now, we have to take a break. I want to come back to this cut. It's not just the mitigation. The vast majority of the country has not experienced hot zones. There's something else going on out there. They're patting themselves on the back way too much. Every place is not New York City and northern New Jersey. Every place is is not New Orleans. You've got wide swaths of this country that are mostly unaffected by this. So there's more going on than that. You have California, which has more metropolitan areas and a bigger population, a more density over, over other states than any other state. And yet the number of deaths there is less than 1,000. I think last time I looked, it was around 700. Well, why is that? I'll be right back. Mark Levin. 
If you and your family are finding yourself at home with extra time on your hands these days, I know an excellent way to fill it. Take a free online course from Hillsdale College. Hillsdale offers dozens of online courses on topics, including the U.S. Constitution, economics, history, and literature. Right in your own home, on demand, and absolutely free of charge. Hillsdale students learn the inspiring history of America. Now you can, too, with Hillsdale's newest free online course, The Great American Story, A Land of Hope. Learning and teaching our children about America's past is essential for preserving liberty in the future. Register right now to take this free online course, The Great American Story. It's a production masterpiece, and it paints a picture of America as a land of hope founded on high principles. This course and dozens of others on a variety of topics are available to you and your family for free right now. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Did you know I do a great deal of research? And I came across a very esoteric site called statnews.com. I brought it to your attention. I read an article by John P.A. Ioannidis, a brilliant professor from Stanford. I posted it multiple times on my sites. I even recommended that he be added to the task force. So the backbenchers on TV and radio, they pretend that they came up with this guy. They found this guy. The fact is, he was not well-known. He was not ubiquitous in conservative talk radio and on cable TV. And so the backbenchers are what they are, a joke. But I brought this man up to you because he wrote a piece called In the Coronavirus Pandemic, We're Making Decisions Without Reliable Data. Now, he wrote that on March 17th. He's all but ignored by the liberal media. I cited him way back when. And there were others who said similar things. Others who said similar things. He has two partners over there at Stanford. Aaron Ben-David and Jay Bhattacharya, who I also mentioned. And I read their article. Because their article came out on March 24th. Of course, the backbenchers, because they can't think for themselves and they can't do their own research. They noted them too. But that's not the point, the backbenchers. These are important people. Is the coronavirus as deadly as they say? They said, no, it's not. They were right. Is the coronavirus pandemic? We're making decisions without reliable data. Ioannidis was right. How do we know? Because Fauci and Burks have now said, forget about the models. Now we have better data. Forget about the model. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. At the bottom of the hour, we have scheduled a former New York Times reporter by the name of Alex Berenson. I've been reading his tweets. I've been following him a bit. Very intriguing, and he may be on to something, which is why he's under attack relentlessly. So I want to hear him out. (laughs) 
I mean, honest to God, folks, when you follow what we've been told, and I'm not saying this is a conspiracy theory. I'm not saying these people are evil. But if you're going to shut down our way of life and shut down our economy, we have every right to be inquisitive and curious. We're not part of the lapdog, slobbering Democrat Party media and the hate Trump media. That's their problem. They all have jobs. I have a job. But about 20 to 25 percent of our fellow Americans do not. And we have to look out for them. And I don't just mean massive subsidies. I mean to figure out what the hell's going on. Now, the president of the United States is under attack. So I give air cover. Not to the president blindly. But I, I see a press that is so ideological, so one way. They all talk alike. They all look alike. They all say the same damn thing. They all twist and spin the same damn way. They all, they all really are effectively uh, Nancy Pelosi and drag, one form or another. They're disrespectful. I want to go back to what Anthony Fauci said on the Today Show last Thursday. Cut six, go. The initial projections, which took a lot of people's breath away, was potentially 100 to 240,000 No, it deaths. wasn't. The initial projection was a bad flu season. He said it once, he said it twice, he said it three times, and actually he said it on CNBC too. I don't happen to have the clip. He said it four times. Four times. He's talked about the modeling. Now he denounces the modeling. Then he talks about bad flu season. Then he talks about 100 to 240,000 dead. Then they talk about 80-some thousand dead. Now we're at 60,000, maybe less than 60,000. And we have a right to say, hey, what the hell's going on? This just can't be shelter in place. That doesn't even make any sense. It does in hot zones, red hot zones. Go ahead. In this country, now we have data, not just models, but actual data to plug in and, and assess. Do you think the number of fatalities in this country will be significantly lower than Now, I'll hundred- tell you what's fascinating about this as I listen to it now. She, in her question, is saying what Fauci already said. Right, Mr. Producer? Well, now that you don't have to deal with the models, now that you have actual data, isn't that the Fauci argument? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. This moving between models and data and then data and data and then back to models. Without any accountability, without any responsibility, just say, hey, we were wrong. Hey, we had the wrong model. Hey, maybe we shouldn't put out those numbers because we're not sure. Other scholars from Stanford, from Yale, from the University of Chicago and other places were all saying, you're wrong. You know you're wrong. You don't have the data. Why did they just say that? Go ahead. 1,000 to 240,000 first projected. I do. And I believe that the mitigation, I think the American public have done a really terrific job. So you got to trash, leave it right there a second. You got to trash the models now and praise the American people. Thanks to you. Thanks to you folks out there living like you're in North Korea. Thanks to you, the number of fatalities have gone down. Now, Look, there's got to be some of that. There's no question about that. And thanks to us and this mitigation process, 
the fatalities are going to go up in another wave. And I'm certain of this because of the lack of immunity throughout the society. You know, there's scholars and there's scholars. You read them and you've got to draw conclusions like there's historians and there's historians. But what we're learning is this isn't an exact science. And then follow the science. Well, which one? Follow the model. Well, which one? Use the data. Well, which data? Go ahead. Just buckling down and doing those physical separation and adhering to those guidelines. As I've told you on the show, models are really only as good as the assumptions that you put into the model. But when you start to see real data, you can modify that model. And the real data are telling us that it is highly... Here's the problem, ladies and gentlemen. This isn't a medical school class. Let me put it that way. This isn't a medical school class. This isn't some white paper exercise. This isn't some think tank. It affects people's lives. Now, if you're skeptical about models from day one, and you're skeptical about the data you have because you don't have enough data, as Dr. Ionidas has said, as Dr. Katz has said, as their colleagues have said, then why are you putting it out there? Well, I've got to put out something. No, you don't. Go ahead. That we're having a definite positive effect by this mitigation things that we're doing, this physical separation. So I believe we are going to see a downturn in that, and it looks more like the 60,000 than the 100 to 200,000. Now, here's the other thing they're not telling you. In all the modeling before, they told us, they are taking into account mitigation. They were taking into account mitigation. Others have tracked this pack too, by the way. They were taking account, they told us, mitigation in their other models. But you're really, really hunkering down. And that's why the numbers are going down. I don't believe it. I believe it has some impact. And I also believe it's going to have some adverse impact down the road. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Again, mitigation for the elderly, mitigation for those with with various underlying illnesses and disease who are susceptible to this sort of thing, death, got it, all for it. And even mitigation when you open the economy, still the distancing and the gloves and the masks, people serving food, got it. Yes, I'm for that. You can still open the economy. As I said before, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. There are certain situations where that won't work. Crowded stadiums with 50,000 people right now. Got that too. 
But every business is in a crowded stadium with 50,000 people. And by the way, they didn't shut down the New York subway, did they, Mr. Producer? Do you take the subway? No, you want to, keep, you want to save your life. But uh, others of you take the subway. Can't go to church, but you can go on the subway. I mean, some of this is so irrational, it's not even funny. It's bizarre. And this is why they build up Fauci. They build up <clears throat> Dr. Burks, and they trash Trump because Trump's, you know, he's following their, their train. He's, he's the caboose. He's following them. He's following their advice. He's really following their advice. Follow the science, they keep saying. Follow the science. Well, you get whiplash following the science. You get whiplash. And then, I mean, Burke says on March 26th that the media is out there with doomsday predictions. I have to laugh. The one time I'm going to defend the media, actually, they were the ones out with doomsday predictions, and the media couldn't get enough of it. You have people like Max Boot over at the Washington Compost. Such a dumbass, this guy. And effectively copies exactly what others have written about me. That I, I, you know, I'm just defending Trump here. Do I sound like I'm just defending Trump here, Mr. Producer? No. Asking serious questions, citing serious scholars. But Max Boots, too much of an idiot. He's a Trump hater. You have National Pubic Radio. I don't know why we're funding this operation. It's just another wing of the Democrat Party. Don't they have enough newsrooms? And then you have their little offshoots. Just bizarre, stupid little operations. But it doesn't matter. You have Vanity Fair. Why don't they get back to reporting on movies and stuff like that? And they hire this reprobate. Such a clown. I mean, same thing over and over. And they repeat each other. They should be bringing plagiarism suits against each other. Again, if you read Unfreedom of the Press, you'll understand it all. They really are the same person in about five or 6,000 different suits and dresses. Same person. They're like zombies. And here's Robert Redfield, the CDC director. Last Monday, they're all repeating themselves now. Cut 10, go. Uh, as you pointed out, even those models that were done, they assumed that only about 50% of the American public would pay attention to the recommendations. Did you know that, ladies and gentlemen? Have you heard that before? I never heard that before. Where's that coming from? I never heard that before, assuming only 50% of the American people would comply. They're making excuses. Go ahead. In fact, what we're seeing is a large majority of the American public are taking the social distancing recommendations to heart. And I think that's the direct consequence why you're seeing the numbers are going to be much, 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 much lower than would have been predicted by the models. Unbelievable. There's no model from any country that would have predicted 1.5 to 2.2 million deaths with no mitigation. That's irrational. We still haven't seen this model with 100,000 to 240,000. Check the Chris Murray model. They keep talking about Christopher Murray. Christopher Murray hasn't exactly been right, has he? And who the hell's Christopher Murray? I don't even know. Follow the Christopher Murray model. You just said don't follow the models. 
Follow the data. Now we're supposed to follow the models. This is my problem. It's three-card Monty. We've got to get better at this. Our bureaucracy, our medical and scientific health public bureaucracy has to get better than what Fauci's given us. Has to get better than what the CDC and Redfield has given us. Has to get better than what Burks has given us. Because it's been pretty crappy, to be perfect. Mark, it's a new virus. There's always an answer. A new virus. You're the ones who put out these numbers, not me. Why did you put them out? Why did you put them out? And I'll tell you why they put them out. We talked about this earlier in the program. Actually, the doctor lawyer from Stanford, graduate from Stanford, she explained it. They look at the worst-case scenarios, and that's what they operate from. The worst-case scenarios. But these aren't even worst-case scenarios. These were never really scenarios. No mitigation. We'd lose 1.5 to 2.2 million people in America. Is there no mitigation in America? Is that what we do? Of course not. It's absurd. It's absolutely nuts. Oh, boy. Of course, the Democrats and the media take no responsibility for anything. Not only were they slow off the mark, they were literally paralyzing the United States Congress. I was the first to mention, and look at the dates of the trial. You don't hear about John Bolton anymore. Boy, that book was a great investment, wasn't it, Mr. Producer? Oh, he made a fortune. When we come back, I want to lift up your spirits. I want to lift up your spirits with something that is so beautiful. I have played it over and over again since my buddy in California, Mark Kaufman, sent it to me. I really want you to hang in there. And it's not for ratings. This is going to really change your day. And we have a great guest at the bottom of the hour. But I want you to, I want you to hang in there. I want to play something that's really going to lift your spirits. We'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. voice the liberals want to silence but you can talk to mark at 877-381-3811 all right it's shocking that your home could be stolen this easily deborah learned the brutal lesson when thieves found the title to her home online then they forged the document to appear she sold her home but she hadn't then they borrowed thousands using her home's equity and this is going on more and more deborah didn't know She was a victim until foreclosure notices arrived and an eviction notice, and she spent a fortune trying to get her home back. The crime's called home title fraud, and the FBI calls it one of the fastest-growing crimes. My advice for avoiding a possible nightmare is to follow my lead and protect your home with home title lock. 
And no, neither your homeowner's insurance nor bank protects you. And for pennies a day, Home Title Lock does. First things first, find out if you're a real victim. And the easy way to do that is go to Home Title Fraud. Register your home at HomeTitleLock.com. Enter Mark for one month of free protection. Again, enter Mark for one month of free protection. HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Code Mark. Alex Berenson is a former New York Times reporter, an Ivy League graduate. He's no kook. He's no conspiracy theorist. But he has some very serious and in-depth questions about some of the modeling and some of the data and some of the uh, actions as a consequence of them. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm great, Mark. I'm, I'm great. It's good to talk to you. Well, let me ask you something. This is very weird in the sense that if you dare to question models that now the modelers say are wrong... You dare to question data, where now the data say they didn't have enough data. You're attacked, Alex. I'm attacked. What is that all about? Uh, you know, you got me. It's, it's, it's really bad. What's happened in the last month is really, really bad. And we're just sort of starting to see um, the damage that it's caused to our economy and society and education. And, you know, I, I, I would have thought that if... If I'd made a mistake that proved to, or a model that proved to be 80% wrong in terms of the number of beds it projected in 10 days, I would say, you know what, I'm going to apologize to the United States for this, and I'm going to explain what happened. But, but that is not what is happening right now. What is happening? Well, Excuses. People are, doubling, people are doubling down on this narrative that, that the lockdown somehow saved us, when in fact the original incorrect model, the University of Washington model that's gotten so much attention – um, explicitly accounted for lockdowns. Okay, there, there, there is no, there's no conceivable way that you can make that argument, but people are making it, and, and it's starting to really anger me. What is happening now? And and what is happening now is that people are making excuses, and they're not being held to account, and the media are defending them, and anybody who dares to question them, like I support the president of the United States. That has nothing to do with what I'm asking here. I don't even know how one position helps him and one position hurts him. You are, there are scholars out there, Alex. You're out there, but there's scholars out there, too, from Stanford, from Yale, yep. who are raising serious questions about all yep. this. O- Oxford also. I mean, so, so, look, I'm not a modeler, okay? I'm a journalist by, you know, by profession. And what am I reasonably good at? I'm reasonably, reasonably good at figuring out whether what somebody says matches reality. And what these people have been saying for the last month has had nothing to do with reality. And, and by the way, like, this has real consequences right now because what's going on, like, some of these states are actually continuing to tighten their lockdowns. They're continuing to tighten this, even though, even though by the modeling itself, the worst of the crisis is over, and we can have a separate, longer argument about whether lockdowns actually made any difference. It is, it is beyond bizarre what is happening in our country right now. And, you know, even in Europe, they're starting to pull back on the lockdowns. Even Spain. Spain has the equivalent of 125,000 Americans dead. And they today began to relax their lockdowns. And what do we have? We have states like California talking about extending things or, you know, Los Angeles extending things to May 15th. We have people talking about June. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's just it's just really strange. Now, how do you explain and you do? I'm just I just like you to voice it. How do you explain the rather limited number of uh, deaths in California and the significant number of deaths in New York? Um, so clearly the dynamics in New York are different than anywhere else in the country. Clearly, 
New York City has a very high population density, and it has uh, it has you know a lot of use of mass transit, and it you know it 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 clearly was hit hard by this. And let's not pretend that this is not real. This is a real virus. It kills people, and it especially kills the elderly, and it especially kills people with pre-existing conditions. And it did some damage in New York City a couple of weeks ago, but. But the conditions in the rest of the country are different, okay? And if you look at Florida, Florida locked down very late. There's no epidemic there. You look at Texas, some cities in Texas locked down early, some locked down late. There's no epidemic there. California, they locked down early. There's no epidemic there. New York, they locked down early, and they have a terrible epidemic. And Sweden, by the way, hasn't locked down at all and doesn't have a terrible epidemic. It is very, very hard to link the lockdowns to the epidemic. I mean, so what do, you, what do you think's going on? Why California and why New York? Almost opposites. Well, well, again, I mean, I think we need to, I think there's going to be some scientists who are going to have to work out. Mm-hmm. There's going to need to be some scientists who are going to have to work out in the next few months what's really happened. But to me, that's less important than what is happening right now. Right now, our economy is in free fall. Right now, neighbors are calling neighbors on the police because somebody's not wearing a mask outside, when there is zero evidence that that's an important route of transmission. Right now, children are being denied school, and some children are being stuck at home with abusive parents. Right now, these things are happening, and it's time to stop pretending that we're doing this for any meaningful reason. That, that is what's bothering me so much. So you would support, I take it, focusing, as you just said, on the vulnerable parts of the population. That's absolutely correct. And, and let the rest of the people live. Well, yeah, lives. herd immunity. That's right. We don't. What we don't want is we don't want this to get into nursing homes. We don't want this to get into hospitals. We, so what can we do? We can run fever checks at nursing homes. We can encourage people to wear masks. Maybe we should discourage really large social events, like you know, like concerts and stuff like that. That might that might lead to sort of surges in transmission until we understand it a little better. But the people who think that we should shut down our economy right now, they have they have a case to make that, that to my mind, they are not close to making. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me ask you about this, this shutting down the economy. Uh, and also this, this hyper-focus, I'll say, nationwide on this virus. Other people with other ailments, deadly ailments, heart disease, diabetes, uh, cancer, and so forth, they're going to die, some of them, some percentage of them. And you see now doctors and, and nurses for some of these companies being laid off because they're specialists in other areas, cardiologists and so forth. So it's having an impact even on our healthcare system. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, one of the, the thing that was most striking to me last week, so this week is going to be the week of the protests, and we'll see how fast they spread. But last week was the week of the fact that the healthcare system in the United States now is beginning to shut down, believe it or not. Not because of the virus, but because we've canceled all these elective surgeries, we've gotten ready for the surge that has not come, and so hospitals, which are incredibly labor-intensive and expensive to run, are now bleeding money. And, and believe it or not, a hospital in Oklahoma City shut down last week, but many hospitals are furloughing workers and closing departments. It is crazy that in the middle of what is supposed to be the worst epidemic, the worst pandemic since the Spanish flu, our healthcare system is shutting down from lack of use. Wasn't it pretty obvious mid-March into the 20s in March, some of the writers coming out, some of the scholars coming out, that they way overshot the fatality rates? I wouldn't say that. I would say it started to become more obvious towards late March. 
Okay. What was obvious by mid-March was that this was something that really affected older people, very vulnerable people. And, and so that was why there was this idea of we're going to flatten the curve. We don't want a million people over 70 you know, in hospitals sick with this, and then we can't treat anybody else. Okay, so that was the first thing that happened was this sort of – the media was dishonest about this, too. They totally lied about – lied is a strong word, but they, they totally focused on outlier cases, you know, the, the one 30-year-old who had this. And by the way, you know, they, they would write stories about these people, and then 12 paragraphs in, you'd find out that the 20-year-old in Spain who died had leukemia. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so, so the media focused on outlier cases. It, it intentionally – I mean, that's the only way I can look at this – tried to scare people. And then – by, I would say, March 26th, March 27th, March 28th, it started to become clear that the narrative that the surge was going to overrun first New York State and then everywhere else was starting to have problems. And that has only grown in the two weeks since. Let me ask you something. This piece, March 17th, I'm sure you've heard of this man, Ionidas. Yes, of course. Statenews.com. <clears throat> the current coronavirus disease, COVID-19, has been called a once-in-a-century pandemic may also be a once-in-a-century evidence fiasco. He was right. He, he was lays right. it out. It certainly appears he was right. Um, it certainly appears that, in retrospect, we're going to look at this, and the, you know, the infection fatality rate is going to be somewhat higher than the flu, but it is not going to be 1% or 2%. Uh-oh, way, now you're really in trouble. You're not allowed to bring up the flu. The flu doesn't kill. I mean, the flu kills young people sometimes. This illness kills almost, and I mean, no one under 30. One of the most striking statistics. Wait a minute, sir. Think. One second. One second. I'm going to let you finish. The governor of Florida basically made this point, and he has been brutalized for three days. Well, you know, he's telling the truth. Okay. Here's, here's the most astonishing statistic of all the astonishing statistics I've found, even more than the one that the hospital in Oklahoma City closed. More people over 100, over 100 worldwide, have died of this illness than under 30. And that's that's pretty clear from the numbers that have been put out. Okay, I can give you you know specific states where they've reported deaths of people over 100. I can give you the Netherlands, which has reported deaths of people over 95. And meanwhile, almost nobody under 30 has died from this illness worldwide. So why did we shut down our school systems? Well, I don't. Well, you know, the theory was this is going to be really terrible. And again, so so you have to remember, four weeks ago, that the what they what they said to us, what we believed was. This is about flattening the curve. This is about a health system crisis. Now, somehow, it's morphed into, even though the disease is clearly less severe than we thought it was a month ago, no one is ever going to be allowed to contract this. Well, I ask you this, Mark. When HIV in 1985 had a 100% fatality rate, and people weren't 100% sure how it could be spread, could it be spread through casual contact or with sexual contact and needles? You remember, there were a lot of uncertainties in you know, oh, yeah. 1984, 85, 86 about this. We didn't shut down the world. We said, you know what, we're going to figure this out. And this, somehow, we have lost our minds over. How are you, how are you, I mean, you have former colleagues, and so how are you being treated by them in the media? Um, so, so, you know, I, I, I don't think, I think if I asked for my job back at the New York Times, I'm not so sure I would get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, here's, here's what I can tell you. I've heard privately from people, especially some older reporters, who, who have encouraged me in this. Um, you know, younger reporters and the, and the Twitter, you know, sort of the blue check marks on Twitter, they attack me. I don't care. I care about the facts, and I'm going to do my best to put them out. And I will tell you this, too, Mark. My emails are running somewhere between 50 and 100 to 1 in favor of what I'm doing. 
There are a if, lot of people out there who have a lot of yes, yes. If I people, if question, if, pe- if people are interested in following you, where do they go? Uh, my Twitter account is Alex Berenson, and that's really the best place. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm so glad Twitter exists. It has given me a platform for this, and people have paid attention. Now, I'm obviously not the only one talking about this, but it has been so helpful for me. I'm so thankful for Twitter. Alex Berenson. I've said technology is going to be the real competing force with the old media, maybe even the new media, and it's very, very important. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The fact is there is good on that, on that Internet. Yeah, and we can, all, you know, we can all talk publicly and in real time and hopefully try to move the ball forward, and there's not a gatekeeper as there was you know, 50 years ago. I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I must say, I really do, and I don't care what the consequences are either. I say what I think. And I have found you to be very, very compelling, so keep it up. Well, thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be on with you. And you too. God bless. Alex Berenson. He's now persona non grata in his former profession. Uh, Fascinating. He also believes that this virus may have hit California earlier than other parts of the country, which makes sense. And it had time to work its way through the population of California earlier than other parts of the country. He says, I don't know, but when we're in a a position to test, we need to test that because he believes uh, it moved kind of from the West Coast and then hit the East Coast, not across the country in any any rational way, but he just believes that California was probably hit earlier. And given the the significant Asian-American population in California and the uh, tourism and the travel uh, between China and California, he's probably right. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Can I confide in you, my brothers and sisters, my wonderful Levinites, like you're members of my family? I can be way off. I can be way off on this. But Mr. Producer, Mr. Colescore, you remember how sick I was for like two months? Remember how much trouble I had breathing? Remember how I couldn't stop coughing? And I was taking everything they, they would give me. I was spraying stuff into my lungs. I was doing stuff on my throat. I was taking medicine. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. And I've had pneumonia before, as you folks know. I've had bronchitis before. And bronchitis can go on a long time. It can. I couldn't kick this damn thing. My wife would tell you this, too. Middle of the night, I couldn't sleep. I want to have one of these tests to see see if I had it when they're available. If not, fine. But if I did, I did. But I'd like to know doesn't mean every time somebody has a cold or a sore throat or bronchitis or pneumonia, they had it. But I'd like to know. Because I've had a lot, of course, in my life. And this damn thing, I just couldn't kick. Now, it goes back a little earlier than the claim of the first coronavirus case. It goes back to December. But, you know, I had to do a lot of flying. Flew to California, had to fly back and forth from Florida. I'm, I'm just, 
throwing it out there. I'm not drawing any conclusions. I'm not saying I did. I'm just saying I wonder. I'd like when the tests are ready, and I don't want to interfere with whatever they're doing. But when they're ready, I want to try it. And you better watch this meat and food supply chain because we now have some meat producers that are shutting down. And that's why Nancy Pelosi and media, you don't shut down an entire country. Dr. Fauci. Why isn't Dr. Fauci wearing a mask? I'm just curious when he's standing next to the president. And uh, Dr. Burks has plenty of scarves. I've noticed that. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? And they're not particularly cheap. I mean, she could use that. They're telling us to use scarves. She can use a scarf. There are unprecedented times, these are, causing a lot of stress and financial worry. And being in debt to the IRS certainly makes matters worse now more than ever. Thankfully, there's good news. Optimate Tax Relief can help you resolve your tax debt over the phone, over the phone and online. Don't go it alone. Optimate Tax Professionals can reduce the stress in your life by helping resolve your IRS problems from the comfort of your own home. Optima is America's most trusted tax resolution firm, having resolved over $1 billion in tax debt for their clients, and they can help you. Optima's award-winning team is ready to help you online and over the phone, even during these uncertain times. They will stand between you and the IRS and fight to get you the best deal possible. All it takes is one call to start the process. Optimus Tax Associates are standing by. Take the first step towards putting your tax problems to rest. Call now for a free consultation. 800-499-6300. 800-499-6300. That's 800-499-6300. I would recommend to Nancy Pelosi, I would recommend very strongly to Nancy Pelosi, she should wear a mask. No, I'm quite serious. She should wear a mask. Schumer should wear a mask too. They should demonstrate their fidelity to mitigation. I mean, really big masks, you know, maybe like a Nixon mask or, you know, a Fidel Castro mask, a Mao mask, something that, that is both more attractive than them, plus can protect them and, of course, protect us. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 381. When you heard it first, right here on this broadcast, I was challenging these models. You heard it first right here when I was challenging the data that was being put into these models. You heard it first right here when I challenged the fatality rates. You heard it first right here when I said the governors, like Governor Cuomo, had all the power in the world under the, under the, the, uh, the certificate of notice and need laws. To have all the ventilators and beds he wanted, but he chose 
He chose solar panels. You heard it first, right here, when I explained that these governors hadn't expanded their hospitals, hadn't added rooms, uh, excuse me, beds. You heard it first right here, when I said that Cuomo basically was using his press conferences to make demands on the federal government. Demands that really the federal government in some respects should have helped with, but in all respects, absolutely not. You heard the challenge here first to this $2.2 trillion bill, half of which was useful, half of it was a complete waste. You heard it here first, the challenge against the massive spending because of inflation. That's why you listen to this program. You heard about Dr. David Katz first on this program, who made it clear, who made it abundantly clear that the approach that was being proposed really wasn't the best approach. That the fight against the coronavirus should have been targeted, not basically uh, uh, hammering the entire country. You heard it here first. I introduce you to Dr. John Ioannidis. Nobody else, not on cable TV, not on radio, knew who the hell he was until I found him on an obscure website called statnews.com about statistics. You heard it here first. This isn't ideological for me. If you're going to shut down the country, if you're going to deny people their liberties, then you better be good at your science. Follow the science. I've been trying to follow the science. And so have some others now. Johnny and Joni come lately's. So what's the response? National Pubic Radio. Pro-Pubica. Variety. Which doesn't believe in diversity of thought in the least. Among others. Trashing me. Throwing me in with others. I don't even know what the others are saying. I don't have time to even pay attention to it for the most part. As a denier. Not a denier. I know this virus can kill. And I know certain people in particular need to mitigate. So I don't deny that in the least. What I reject, and I've always rejected, and I said it early on, is that there's enough going on here that you don't need to hype it in ways that distort what's taking place. Now we have this constant head-bobbing, head-bobbing like a boxing match from these doctors on their models. Well, you know, the models are critical. Well, the models aren't that important. We look at the data. Well, we didn't have all the data, but now we have the data. We didn't have the tests. Now we have the tests. I don't know about you, but if I don't have the right models and I don't have the right data, I don't start throwing around numbers of the number of people who are going to be dead. With these ranges that are so massive and so just absurd. Absurd. And we'll find out soon enough if this sort of nationwide mitigation strategy was the right move. I think it'll turn out to be the wrong move. Because of this, what they call this herd immunity. I first heard of herd immunity because I'm not, look, I'm not a medical professional. Not a medical student. I'm mostly a patient. Herd immunity makes all the sense in the world to me. That is, that a 
significant percentage, 60, 70 percent of the people in the country get the virus, have an immunity. And this is how you defeat it if it doesn't mutate 10,000 times. Well, we're not going through that for a significant part of the population. And then I I listen very carefully to Fauci as if I'm listening to a politician. Because he's been shucking and driving. So when he says it's seasonal, well, what makes the virus seasonal? What the hell does that mean? How does he know it's seasonal? What he really means to say is we're going to get a hit again and maybe again and again because we don't have this herd immunity. And herd humidity is not let it rip. Nobody's saying let it rip. Certainly not me. I speak for myself. If you want to open restaurants, they have to show they can mitigate. If you want to open various uh, uh, businesses, you have to show they can mitigate. And many of them can, and many of them will. See, I believe in the enterprise and the entrepreneurship, the innovation of the American mind. That's what liberty is all about. It's between your ears. For the left, it's between your legs. But in reality, it's between your ears. Now look at how these local, county, and state potentates are conducting themselves based on the advice they get from their medical monarchs. This is a county that is either near or includes Tampa, but that's the area. Hillsborough County votes, this is Fox 13 News, to implement overnight curfew, effective immediately. An overnight curfew? The curfew will be in place every day from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. beginning Monday night, tonight. Hillsborough County and the state of Florida, they already have a safer-at-home order in place that direct residents to remain at home, except for essential trips. Limited recreation is allowed as long as social distancing guidelines are followed. It's pretty much like Virginia, where I am. But some group members felt that stronger measures were needed. Oh, they always do. Monday's motion, this was a vote among the commissioners, was put forth by Commissioner Les Miller, who pointed out that Hillsborough County deputies have received over 200 complaints about residents not following the safer-at-home order. Schweins! They're schweins! They're not following the orders! They don't have the papers! They've been reported on by the neighbors! We need... We need a curfew for American citizens? Quote, they're not paying attention. They're not listening. I don't know how much more education we can do, said Commissioner Miller. Our numbers are going to get worse. Our deaths are going to get worse. Our hospitals are going to get filled. We can't afford to do that. Member Rick Lott, mayor of Plant City, was among those who opposed the move, fearing that it would have little effect on compliance. After some discussion, the vote was 5-3 to in favor of the curfew. The group also discussed making face coverings mandatory for everyone outside the home while on an essential trip. But the request of school board member Melissa Snively, they put off the vote until Thursday for more research. Who the hell would want to live there? A curfew and they may mandate a mask? I'll tell you what, I'd be in, the court, I'd be in court in two seconds. Problem is they probably own the judiciary too. 
You have massive government overreach in a number of states. Michigan is completely out of control. Completely out of control. And many of these these, uh, compliance requirements are irrational. Many of them are political, like in Massachusetts. Oh, we have a Republican governor in Massachusetts. What do you want, a Democrat, Mark? Yes. Anything but this jerk. Former U.S. attorney. He shut down the gun shops. Because we know how dangerous it is to gather there, ladies and gentlemen. Gun shops. Abortion clinics open, gun shops closed. Ten or less protesters in front of abortion clinics arrested. Abortion clinics open. And the irony is, as I've explained week after week after week, abortion is not a virus. And yet, look how many babies it kills. And if you have, if abortion takes place, there's almost no hope that the victim will survive. Abortion is worse than a virus. What did Mark say? I said what I said. Because it attacks the most vulnerable, babies, and it kills them. Kills them. But that's a choice, you see. We don't mitigate for abortion. We don't hunker down in order to prevent them. No, 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 no. Here you have Governor Cuomo. Says he's concerned about every life. But it's a lie. He's not concerned about every life. This is a man who chose solar panels over ventilators. And this is a man who believes abortion on demand and, frankly, infanticide. His 87% popularity rate. Matter of fact, I want to go through this with you very quickly. The more fascistic the governor, it would appear, the more they're supported in their states. This was done uh, by the morning consult, which I never do. Governors are getting high marks for their virus response. Governor Newsom of California... His approval rating today is 83%. Before, it was 42%. And he's been among the most fascistic of the bunch. Cuomo. Short beds, he said, but he wasn't. Short ventilators, he said, but he wasn't. Short money. He was at 47%. Today's at 79%. DeWine of Ohio. He had four or five cases in Ohio, and he shut the whole state down. His approval rating before the virus was forty was excuse me forty nine percent. Today it's eighty percent. Evers of Wisconsin was forty eight percent. Now it's seventy two percent. Whitmer of Michigan, this nut job, she was at forty two percent. Today she's at sixty six percent because people like apparently fascists. What did I call them? Exactly what I said. I'm not a politician. I don't have to be. Inslee of Washington State was at 44%. Now he's at 67 Hutchison. Now Hutchison's been quite good, actually. Arkansas was at 58%. Now he's at 80 Cooper. Lousy. North Carolina was at 47 Now he's at 63 Bell Edwards. Loser. He was at 54 Now he's at 68%. Sununu. New Hampshire. He was at 59, now he's at 73. Stitt of Oklahoma, 
was at 56, now 69. Gordon of Wyoming was at 69, now at 82. Wolf of Pennsylvania, this guy's a nut. He was at 53, now he's at 66. Baker of Massachusetts. It is sad what's happened in Massachusetts over the last century or so. When you consider that's really where the revolution began. Dr. Joseph Warren. Sam Adams. John Adams. John Hancock. All out of Boston. Just just horrific. Baker, Massachusetts. Going after the gun stores. He was at 69. Now he's at 80. Now this is the one I want to bring to your attention. Florida has a bigger population. Than New York. It's got more metropolitan areas than the state of New York. It's got enormously diverse communities throughout the state, not just in pockets of the state. It's got a huge tourist population. It's got a number of ports. And the virus has not spread like it has in other places. There's no red hot zone. There's no massive death tally. The governor was on my program on Fox, Governor DeSantis. He explained exactly what he had done, which was brilliant. He went right into the nursing homes, assisted living place, wherever the seniors were. They put very, very tough restrictions in place. And that's where they started. He dared to talk about at some point maybe opening the schools because the deaths under 25 are virtually non-existent, and they tore into him and ripped into him. The media in Florida against DeSantis is like the national media against Trump. It is dishonest and it is vicious. So he was at 58% before the pandemic, and now he's at 51%. He's lost 7% because the media just keeps beating him up, beating him up, beating him. He wouldn't shut all the beaches. In other words, he wasn't fascistic. He was using his noggin. And as a result, Florida didn't turn into New York. And by the way, I don't blame the people in New York. I love the people in New York. This is where my career started. It's the politicians in New York I despise. I'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. We're trying to get the uh, calls into me here. 
but the email's not working. So, guys, send the link through another means, if you would, Mr. Producer. I know this is this is heavy stuff every day, day in and day out. But I think the president is going to work on opening the economy. Now, I looked at the members of his task force, and uh, one of the things about the federal government is they don't like people in the private sector working in the federal government, even temporarily. So as I recall, it's actually difficult to get people in the private sector to get on these various task force without background checks and on and on and on. So if the president wants to add some of the smartest people in the country who actually have entrepreneurial skills, who believe in the free market, not just trade barriers and not just uh, uh, that little corner of the economic world, but bring in people who really know how to... uh, how to explode in a positive way the economy, uh, not just cabinet members and staff and so forth. Uh, He's going to have to use an executive order to waive some of the rules, as he has in other areas, in order to get some of these people on. And I think uh, people who've run restaurants and restaurant chains, uh, people who are truckers, people who are involved in the uh, supply chains, uh, people who provide us with our food, These are the people who need to be part of the task force. Not just steel magnets and real estate magnets and so forth and so on. Some of the others needs to be more diverse. I don't mean sexually. I don't mean racially. I mean more diverse in the sense that these are people who are involved heavily in retail and heavily in assembly lines and heavily in transportation and so forth. That's what I think. Um, We have some great callers. Uh, We'll take some of them after the bottom of the hour. Uh, I've been monopolizing this, but there's been a lot to cover, too. There's some new tests out there today, too. One test was just developed at Rutgers, which which involves saliva. You don't have to stick a Q-tip up somebody's nose, not even partially up their nose. See, folks, this is the genius of American know-how. Our laboratories... Our pharmaceutical companies, the people put food on our shelves, put food on our tables, the people who drive from one end of the country to the other, our farmers, thank God for them. Nobody ever talks about them. Our fishermen, you name them. These are the people who make the country work. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S.
Mark Levin, the modern voice of the Founding Fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. All right, let us go to Melilla, Los Angeles, California, 870 The Answer, where we are live and national. Go right ahead. Oh, hello, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. Yellow. Hello there from California. Hello. Yellow. Hello. Go right ahead. Hi, Mark. Uh, It's Maria from uh, California here. Yes. And, uh, you know, my question to our president is, has he seen the inconsistencies from Dr. Fauci from the very beginning that this wasn't that big of a deal? And then Well, now, hold on. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. I'm not saying it's not a big deal. No, no, Dr. But, but, but it, oh, I see that he said at first it wasn't a big deal. Go ahead. I'm sorry. There's inconsistencies with yes. his reports. Yes. And, and then he points to the slide and the 1.2 to 2 million right. deaths, and then it's 200,000 if we mitigate. Yep. And now he's walking it back to 60,000, Dr. Burks had also mentioned that there's a problem with models. Mm-hmm. Is there you? And, and, and by the way, she spends all day with models. Just so you know. <laughs> no, I mean modelers. Modelers. I'm sorry. Model. Mo- uh, yes, modelers. No, no, I I'm know. not joking. She yeah, spends yeah. all day working with these models and the data. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. And I, I think here's the problem. Um, our president, I think, is relying too much on models on some of the information that they're providing. It's guessing. Oh, we don't know. And I'm expecting these you know, um, advisors to our president to have a little more critical thinking skills to be looking at some of the countries that have shut down, that haven't shut down, and exactly what is their trajectory on the ground, the realistic numbers, and with this we don't really know and the suppositions. This scares people. Here in California, our governor mentioned that 25.5 million people will be infected with corona. Really? Oh, he doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about. I, and, I, and, I, and I'll tell you something else. I'll tell you what we've learned about our media, too. May I? Yes, of course. We've learned that our media likes tyranny. As long as they're protected, they could care less about tyranny. Religious liberty, the freedom to assemble, all the rest. We all understand mitigation. I don't disagree with mitigation to a point. But I disagree when the point is you're going to collapse the economy because all other kinds of predictable and unpredictable consequences, including horrific health consequences. Our media could care less. They ask no questions in this regard. They, they never press like, – they don't say, hey, Dr. Fauci, what about all these other uh, maladies that people have? And now we're losing doctors and nurses. I mean, how long can that go on for? I know. Ha- and has long- he even been asked that question? No, I, I don't think the media is actually uh, catching people's on fire with this hyperventilating over this one issue. But we do have deaths in, from other causes. Um, and I'd like to ask Dr. Fauci a question also with uh, President Obama. During the H1N1 epidemic, um, pandemic, we had mm-hmm. 60 million people in this country with H1N1. And how did Dr. Fauci advise? Our president at that time, did he insist on shutdowns? I don't know. I didn't remember any. Do you know? I don't recall, but it must not have been a big event if neither of us can recall. And I, and I would say this, too. 
these governors are shutting down these these uh, businesses, these school systems, and so forth, and they seem to enjoy themselves. That is, they don't enjoy the death and the and and the and, and the illnesses, but they seem to enjoy this power. I don't believe they have this power. I think they're issuing these orders. They're directing their police to enforce them. And I think if these things are really challenged one day, if they don't really have a specific uh, a connection to a real serious health issue, uh, I, I got to believe that if you get in front of a judge who's a serious judge, they're going to knock these things down. I mean, we've had some judges step up already. When you had in, uh, uh, what, what state was it? I don't even remember. I think it was in uh, Kentucky when you had the mayor of Louisville uh, who wouldn't allow people to drive in their cars, stay in their cars, uh, park outside, and enjoy Easter services, and they never left their cars. Yeah, it's amazing. My, my deep, deep concern is where is the rational thinking in our country? What happened here? Why aren't people coming forward? I mean, there's a Dr. Katz and the Dr. Ioannidis. Thank you so much for bringing this, you know, those uh, wise men to the table. You know, I did check out their their articles and so forth. But but why has our country so been taken by the media that there's so few, except for programs like yours, that are stepping outside that box and looking at the data? I'll tell you why, because you've learned something that should concern you enormously, that there's a large percentage of this population that is prepared to surrender their liberty. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't mitigate. I'm not saying there aren't things that you you should be doing in order to protect yourselves and your family members, because this is a real virus. That said, I think the willingness, when you look at the the polls of these governors, the most iron-fisted of the governors— have the highest popularity rates. And yet, you look at DeSantis in Florida, who's one of the most successful governors, and not just when it comes to this virus, but period, he lost seven points. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. Very, very good call. Let me uh, continue here. Let's see. Let us go to Mike, Lexington, Kentucky, the great WVLK country. Go. Hey, Mark. Um, I'm concerned that I live in Kentucky. I'm concerned that uh, my governor here has, on Sunday, there was a story where basically the state police went to churches and wrote down people's license plates and then uh, put a note on their car that said, you know, we know who you are. We wrote down your plate number. You've been told to not to gather in groups of over a certain amount and that uh, basically you're violating the, uh, you know, the governor's decree. And I'm just calling to find out that constitutionally, uh, does a governor have the right to prevent people from meeting and in certain groups? Does he have a right to prevent people from traveling? If, if, there's, an, if there's a real causal connection between the general health of the population and so forth, yes. I mean, you can't have, uh, oh, let's see. Let's see people have, and they don't now, smallpox. And they all say, you know, we want to go to the mall. You wouldn't support that, would you? No. Or they all have smallpox, and they say, you know, we want to go to these, one of these mega churches. You wouldn't support I that, would you? No, sir. All right, so a governor has to look at that. My problem is these governors are putting their hand on the scale way too heavily. Uh, that's my concern. So the other thing is the police are being used in a way where, you know, they're so busy focused on citizens 
who are not criminals, that you have criminals who are being released from prisons and you have criminals who are doing things they might not otherwise do. I haven't seen any statistics on whether crime has gone up or down. Have you? No, I haven't seen any statistics on that. But why, I'd be why curious. Is I can go, why is it that I can go to Walmart where 500 people have, have been? And well, buy a lot of- I know, but if you go to Walmart, they're not going to allow 500 people in there. They allow, I believe, it depends on the Walmart, I guess, 10 people at a time. And that's a big damn store to go in. So they, they are, they are quote-unquote mitigating. They are controlling it. I'm now, very now that said, if you go to my grocery store, there might be 40 people in there at a time. I'm just concerned at the precedent that this sets. I, I don't disagree. And so the, the issue here is you're asking me, it's not a philosophical issue. You're asking me what, what are the rules here. And the rule is if you can, if you can draw a, a, a straight line between the conduct and public health. That is that the con- – here's the deal. You and I have individual liberties. In a group, we have a right to associate. That's also in the First Amendment. But if the exercising of our right in a group causes a pandemic, and you can show that, it's like owning private property. I own my private property. Can I do anything I want with my private property? Not if it harms somebody else's property. I own a part of a, a stream in front of my, behind my property. Okay, I can't put anything in the stream because it will affect the property downstream. So none of these are pure points, but we want them to be as pure as possible, which I think is your point. So the governor and the government should be pressed to demonstrate that the rule they put in place really was related to a causal issue. So shutting down gun stores because you want to shut down gun stores, that's not acceptable. Or if they shut down a church, even though there's not more than 20, 30 people, or whatever the number is, then you want to know about that too. It doesn't mean you can't pray. It doesn't mean, you, I mean, look, one of my, become one of my closest friends is Pastor Heggie. And look, they're not that thrilled with the fact, and he has thousands and thousands of people who come to his, uh, his church every Sunday. But he was preaching to an, empty, uh, to an empty church, but tens of thousands of people online. Actually, probably more, and on television, probably more than, than, than in the recent past, because that's where people are going. So it's still possible to practice your faith and do that sort of thing. So as I say, there has to be some rational test. Uh, they can't just do it willy-nilly. On the other hand, um, whether it's a gathering, whatever the gathering is, if it's a gathering that, 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 that is epidemic or potentially uh, contributes to a pandemic or an epidemic, then of course something can be done about that. You know, you don't have to burn down the church, but something can be done about that. Let's say, let's, say, let's say I don't have a formal church. Let me give you another example. Let's say I meet in my house. I'm a pastor, I'm a rabbi, whatever I am. A mullah. And I want to have services in my home. The church can be in my home, it can be in my car. Wherever the church is, the church is. Wherever the temple is, the temple is. I want to have it in my home. And I want to have 30 people there. And I'm not going to test them in advance. And they come into my home and we have a service. What if a certain percentage of them turns out that they do have a communicable disease? Through air, through whatever it is, saliva, whatever it is. Is that okay? What about my neighbors? I would, 
I would guess that would be a liability. Well, I mean, it might be a liability, but it would, uh, you know, I suppose you can sue the person, but that doesn't do me any good. I'm the neighbor. That affects me personally. So these cases are not so simple. You've got to look at each one. And if there's a rule put out, first of all, what I would want to know about these governors is what's their authority. Before we even get to churches or, 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 or restaurants, what is their authority? And then did they use their authority in, a, in a, uh, a way that is acceptable, that is, that has some true relationship to what's going on? Telling people as an example, we did have a governor, I think it was uh, yours, or the mayor of uh, Louisville, I believe, that when they drive in cars and they park, and they park at a distance from each other, and their parishioners, to share Easter together, and they don't get out of their cars, they're hermetically sealed in their vehicles. How can you outlaw that? And yet they did. And yet a federal judge overturned it, as that federal judge should have. All right, I've hammered this pretty hard, my friend. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. I hope you enjoyed our Life, Liberty, and Levin last night after your Easter celebration. We had a great governor, a man I have enormous respect for, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. I just want all the cable channels to know that he does exist. There are governors outside of Cuomo who sits there every day in his largely illiterate and inarticulate way. Well, we need and I want and we should pontificating like a moron who really let down the people in New York by his failure to make smart decisions, priorities, were all screwed up before the pandemic, which has an effect on the state and on the city. And Newsom's out there saying, hey, this shows that progressivism can really work. Yeah, really? Shutting down the entire state. That's progressivism, ladies and gentlemen. There you have it. Let us go to Eddie, Woodland, California, the great KRLA, 870 AM, The Answer. Go. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for taking my call. Yes, sir. I was, wonder- I was wondering if, if Trump, if President Trump could invoke the Ninth Amendment to get rid of these tyrannical tin pot dictator governors in these states and say, hey, 
the individual has the right of sovereignty. And I just wanted to know your thoughts about that. Well, it's never been exercised that way. Hold on one second. Excuse me. So I don't think a president can assert the Ninth Amendment against a state. Now, the president has said that he has total authority to open businesses and so forth. I am at a loss to figure out where that constitutional authority comes from. Now, I suppose he can take the the Defense Production Act and use it in ways that probably haven't been used before, which would make me somewhat nervous. I would need to know exactly how he does it by ordering uh, the opening of uh, businesses, large, small, and medium. Uh, I don't believe that's ever been done before, as opposed to using them uh, for the purpose of producing supplies. But there, there could be an argument made, I suppose, uh, that rather than using it to direct businesses uh, to produce materiel uh, for whatever the emergency is, perhaps he could use it to direct businesses, if they're able to, to open. Again, I don't know if that's legit. I'd have to study that much more closely. But the Ninth Amendment, no, that would not fly. Sir. All right, my friend. I appreciate it. Quickly, Chaz, Scranton, Pennsylvania. The, uh, we're out of time. I wanted to get to Chaz. Chaz, not Chaz Bono, by the way. Call tomorrow. Larry, Daryl, Eddie, John, everybody. Call tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, I salute all our heroes out there. Law enforcement, the military. All the, uh, the, the health professionals, truckers, people who are helping feed us. All of you folks, you know who you are. Thank God for each and every one of you. And I'll see you right here tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.